0: This is The Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today's Tuesday, May 24th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week is in JAMA Network Open and is titled, Comparative Effectiveness Associated with Buprenorphine and Naltrexone, in an Opioid Use Disorder and Co-Occurring Polysubstance Use. This comparative effectiveness study evaluated almost 180,000 individuals with opioid use disorder using insurance claims. Individuals with opioid use disorder and co-occurring substance use disorders were less likely to receive buprenorphine and more likely to receive extended-release naltrexone than peers without polysubstance use. These findings suggest that individuals with co-occurring substance use disorders were less likely to receive buprenorphine despite buprenorphine's association with overdose protection. Next is a study in tobacco control, titled Perceived Effectiveness of Objective Elements of Vaping Prevention Messages Among Adolescents. This study examined how vaping prevention messages predict adolescent perception. The study found that items such as addiction, chemicals, and negative health symptoms or effects were associated with higher perceived message effectiveness. The word addiction was associated with higher perceived message effectiveness only for non-users. Items such as industry targeting, environmental impact, and flavor themes were associated with lower perceived message effectiveness, along with first-person language or the use of the word teen. A new study in JAMA Network Open is titled Survey of Barriers and Facilitators to Prescribing Buprenorphine and Clinician Perceptions on the Drug Addiction Treatment Act of 2000 Waiver. This study was conducted to better understand the key barriers in prescribing buprenorphine beyond the X-Waiver process. The study found that barriers to prescribing included the complexity of the X-Waiver process, the perceived lack of professional support and referral network, and the difficulties in getting started. The study also found that supportive professional networks were a key facilitator in prescribing buprenorphine. Our next article in Addictive Behaviors is titled Prevalence and Correlates of Driving Under the Influence of Stimulants. This study notes an increase in cocaine use over the last decade and an even greater increase in the use of methamphetamine. The study obtained four years of data on stimulant use and driving under the influence of stimulants from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Among adults reporting stimulant use in the past year, 28% reported driving under the influence of stimulants. 56% of those met dsm 4 criteria for stimulant use or dependence. Among women, the odds of driving under the influence of stimulants were lower. The majority of those who reported driving under the influence of stimulants also reported driving under the influence of alcohol or cannabis. Next we have a study in PLOS 1, titled Does it come from tobacco? Young adults' interpretations of the term tobacco-free nicotine in a cross-sectional national survey sample. In this study, the authors surveyed subjects aged 18 to 25 to assess knowledge about tobacco products in general and tobacco-free nicotine products in particular. Overall, young adults lack knowledge about nicotine-containing products frequently identifying incorrectly the nicotine source for cigarettes, smokeless tobacco, e-cigarettes, nicotine pouches, and tobacco-free nicotine. Of particular concern, 17% of respondents believe tobacco-free nicotine products did not contain nicotine or tobacco. A new study in World Psychiatry is titled Prevention, Treatment, and Care of Substance Use Disorders in Times of COVID-19. In this editorial, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime and World Health Organization Informal Scientific Network provide multiple recommendations for care of substance use disorders. During the COVID-19 pandemic, persons with substance use disorders have fared worse than the general population, both in terms of risk of infection and worse outcomes with infection. The recommendations from the Informal Scientific Network for treating this disparity include the inclusion of mental health and substance use disorder experts in the COVID-19 task forces, and the development of strategies to ensure substance use disorders are treated like any other chronic medical condition. Next is an article in Lancel Public Health titled, Can Slogans Prevent Gambling Harm? This article comments on a study assessing the efficacy of a slogan used in a safer gambling campaign in the United Kingdom. The slogan, when the fun stops, stop, did not have the intended effect in a study involving experienced gamblers. The author observes that a safer gambling campaign implies that there is a safe level of gambling, which may not exist. The author notes that other alcohol and tobacco safety campaigns have shown that advertisements emphasizing the harms of use can discourage use. Our final article, titled The Stigma of Alcohol-Related Liver Disease and Its Impact on Healthcare, is in the Journal of Hepatology. This review summarizes the evidence of alcohol-related liver disease stigma in healthcare and the implications of the stigma for people with the disease. Public stigma, self-stigma, and structural stigma all contribute to an increased illness burden on alcohol-related liver disease sufferers. It also contributes to a failure or delay to seek help, as well as inferior health care and negative health outcomes. Stigma affects alcohol-related liver disease health care at all stages, from prevention to early detection and intervention to liver transplantation. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and asam.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.